So Blake, um, before we get into experiences and, and what you guys do as far as investigating, um, we've got a uh, Michigan Bigfoot conference coming up July 17th in Ann Arbor, and you guys are heading that up. So uh, if you would, take a few minutes and uh, tell, the, tell the listeners all about it. Yeah, it's the Michigan Bigfoot conference and uh, July 17th. Uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's an all-day event, basically from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. We're going to have a bunch of speakers. we got got uh, catering. We're doing a lot of different uh, things. We actually have a whole room full of about uh, well, the uh, third largest, I would have to say, or fourth. Definitely top five largest cast uh, collection in the, in the U.S. It will be on display. Uh, we have a multitude of... Uh, world-renowned speakers like uh, Cliff Brackman, Igor Brostev, Ken Gerhard, Adam Davies, uh, Robert Kreider. We also have uh, some other uh, uh, great people who are coming. Uh, Jason Kenzie, who is a uh, <clears throat> animal planet photographer. We have the ghost biker girl, which is Miranda Young, and she's studying uh, ghosts and stuff. Uh, we, we have a paranormal room that's uh, going to be a sideshow. It's full with all the woo aspect, paranormal stuff that happens in the same areas as Sasquatch uh, reports, and even alongside with Sasquatch. So that'll be a nice addition. Yeah, a great discussion and uh, stories of 
of all the paranormal woo side and, and ghosts, UFOs, and all that stuff that happens in areas. Uh, it's very unique and, you know, uh, as researchers, we shouldn't uh, shine away from it. We should uh, at least uh, uh, look into it a little bit so it's uh, on our minds in case we uh, experience it out in the wilderness. Uh, but also, uh, it could be a piece of the puzzle that could transform your way of thinking. So, uh, But on the main stage, you know, it's going to be more uh, uh, scientific approach of the uh, normal style of uh, uh, Flesh and Blood with uh, Cliff Brackman and uh, Ken Gerhardt, uh, Adam Davis. Uh, you know, definitely not the woo side, but uh, we're incorporating it because we feel that uh, it needs to be taken more seriously and not uh, shrugged off because it, it, people are experiencing a lot of things in the woods and it might not all be related to Sasquatch, but some of it could be and it's our duty as uh, researchers to find out uh, which is which. So, Well, and as yeah. researchers and, and, you know, from, from my standpoint of, of having a show and bringing these kind of um, topics to, to the public to listen to, you know, I'm not the only one by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm, super new to the game, but I, I think we all owe um, the the people that either listen to us or, or come to, to witness our uh, events like, you know, there in Ann Arbor, I think we owe them a, um, an honest approach to all this stuff to, so that they walk out of there being uh, slightly more educated than they were when they walked in. If you're, exactly. if you're going to spend a lot of time outside in the, in the outdoors, whether you're sky gazing or you're, you know, squatching or whatever it is, um, you know, nobody knows everything. And quite honestly, with, with many of these things, many of us lo- know very little, uh, comparatively, but it's, it's important to, uh, to give, I think if you're going to, if you're going to be in this arena of, of, um, unusual hard to hard to fathom topics i don't think you can i don't think you can easily draw a line a hard fast line and say nope that's too far nope not i I don't believe in that yes i will believe in an 800 pound upright bipedal part whatever part man you know walking through and living through the woods but i'm not going to believe in something that's flying in the sky I don't think I don't think we can do that, and and have a leg to stand on. Because if you're going to be open to one thing, I think you have to be somewhat open to to everything else. Yeah, I mean, again, the, the same things are happening in a lot of the same areas as Sasquatch activities. Uh, you know, Dogman, UFOs, uh, ghost activities, uh, a lot of different things. Little people. Uh, you have Stickman, you have uh, Mothman, uh, then you have a, a variety of different stuff all around the world. Uh, lake monsters, of course. So yeah. there's a lot of things that we just don't know about the Earth that kind of falls in the category of the unknown. So that's why we're throwing it all together because uh, Bigfoot is part of the unknown. So if, it's, if, it, if that is real, which I definitely believe 100%, I know awesome or all of this other stuff could be real so it opens a lot of doors and uh you know our science right now isn't at the level to accept uh any of it and that uh, definitely needs to change 
Yeah, it definitely does. This conference is a great way to explore all, every avenue we can and uh, a great place to meet a lot of experts. Uh, definitely will take the time to talk to you one-on-one. And a lot of great venues, uh, vendors and stuff. So, uh, and again, we're going to have uh, uh, catering and stuff. So there's going to be food at hand. Uh, I believe there's an open bar actually at the hotel right there. Uh, huge. <laughs> oh, yeah, huge. Now I'm really glad I signed up to be a vendor there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an all day. So, uh, you know, a little bit uh, dinner time and stuff. We're going to be doing some more fun things and uh, got some surprises. Uh, we want to keep under wraps, but it's going to be fun. Uh, that's the most important thing is uh, education and uh, having fun doing it. So Tell the so people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> so I was just going to finish up by saying, uh, it's July 17th. It's in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. So you'll we'll see everyone there. You can uh, <clears throat> check us out on uh, the Michigan Con- BigfootConference.com, and you can find uh, find us there. Now, ticket prices and vendor prices and everything is on the website. Yeah, it's, it's relatively easy to uh, navigate through all that. And, uh, that's how I went and, uh, I got signed up to be a vendor there. So I'll be there promoting the show again, like I was in West branch. Um, and I, I tell you from, from the standpoint of a vendor and, uh, West branch, uh, was, was my first conference that I've been to as either a, a vendor or a, um, uh, somebody who went to just uh, watch the, watch the speakers. I've not been to any yet. And, uh, I don't think I could have picked a better one to start off with. It wasn't, uh, you know what, maybe a hundred people there, um, plus vendors and, uh, and speakers. And I'm telling you, uh, just a great group of people. Everybody was super friendly, had a lot of discussions with a lot of interesting people. And, uh, it was a terrific way to get my feet wet. Yeah. West branch, uh, it was great this year, you know. Uh, actually, my first conference was West Branch uh, a couple of years back, actually, and I met a practically my whole team there. Um, yeah, Phil Shaw, who's the uh, uh, founder of the West Branch uh, Bigfoot Committee, committee who puts that on, a <clears throat> uh, great re- researcher and stuff, uh, did an excellent job. And uh, we had uh, Ron Moorhead and Janice Carter there. And some other speakers, and it was a, a really great, uh, small, very cozy and warm uh, uh, venue. Because a lot of people, I mean, if you probably talk to everyone, yeah, you know, yeah. shy, love and talk to you and tell you other stories and this and that. I found a lot of uh, new reports and awesome just people. Yeah, it was it was a it was a terrific, terrific act- afternoon. And like I said, I couldn't have couldn't have picked a better venue to uh, get my feet wet in. Uh, my son accompanied me and uh, he had an absolute blast. We had a, we had about a two and a half hour drive back to Grand Rapids uh, where we, where I spent the night at his uh, apartment. And I mean, we basically spent two and a half hours just uh, rehashing all the different conversations that we had had and the, uh, the interesting people that we had met and uh, spoke quite a bit about you guys and uh, how cordial you were. We felt bad that we had a bug out when we did because I would have loved to have been able to help you with the uh, your vehicle situation. But uh, my daughter had gotten called into 
gotten called into work and, and our dogs were on about uh, seven hours of not being let out. So <laughs> we had to kind of haul, haul butt back to, uh, to get them out before they tore up his apartment. But uh, no, it was a terrific experience. So Yeah, and that's what uh, conferences should be about. And uh, that's what we're doing. And uh, definitely recommend West Branch. It's very good. Uh, the next one will definitely be... Uh, least sometime in September, but uh, we'll have to see. Um, yeah, one thing uh, interesting about West Branch is uh, it's right in the middle of a lot of uh, reports and stuff. Yeah, no, I went onto the, um, it was one of the city websites, uh, and they, they consider themselves to be basically like Bigfoot Central of uh, Michigan, do they not? Yeah, they call themselves the uh, Bigfoot Capital of Michigan, and that was uh, passed through by a fill and stuff because of all. Basically, they sit in the middle of all a bunch of reports, uh, and there's a few different uh, like Bigfoot triangles and stuff between the little these little towns. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an awesome spot, you know. Well, I tell you, driving driving there, I don't know what it was uh, to continue past West Branch, but on the way up there. Boy, you want to talk about some uh, some desolate areas? There were some uh, there were some stretches of highway that there was absolutely nothing but forested area, and uh, so I can I can certainly understand why they would have uh, the amount of sightings that they do around there. Oh yeah, well, Sasquatch are uh, all over the state of Michigan. Actually, uh, they're reported in Detroit and everywhere in between. They're definitely in the lower. Uh, part of Michigan, I would say, just as much as it, from my experience. Um, well, no mine as well, especially with uh, my uh, episode two and three, the two-parter I did. Uh, there's no yeah. doubt in my mind that they're in uh, at least Berrien and Cass counties. Um, they're reported uh, in every county. Michigan has about uh, 16, over 1,600 reports, uh, the earliest are from uh, 1,600 all the way to the present day. Uh, so there have been sightings since Michigan has been a state and even before. Yeah. So. Neat stuff. Neat stuff. Can't get enough of it. All right. So my podcast is about the paranormal. Big umbrella. I'm, I'm not making any, I don't have any cutoffs, uh, you know, ghosts, uh, hauntings, um, Sasquatch reported, um, you know, just ultra dimensional stuff, uh, UFOs. I'm into it all. And, uh, but for some reason, the, the Bigfoot thing tends to come up about two thirds as much as everything else does. Um, got 13 episodes uh, this will be their 14th episode and i believe six of those seven of those 14 are in some way shape or form related to sasquatch um if it doesn't originally start off that way it does end up becoming a topic and uh i, th- I think that's uh i think that's kind of a a nod to the prevalence of it throughout this area and and people's starting to get comfortable enough to to talk about it 
on a little bit more regular basis. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. They, well, you know, uh, Sasquatch is a, it, it, to me, it has more of a, just a majestic uh, appeal. You know, it's, it's something that's wild. It's still in the, you know, it's nature and the, these wilderness areas and, or these, you know, swampy places right out in our backyards, but it's just, it's, this unknown creature that's out there it's still living, but it's right underneath our noses. It's, it's a little bit more appealing to ghosts from, uh, to, from my point of view, because sometimes you just, you don't know what you're messing with. You can't even see the what things are. And, you know, people do get hurt by ghosts, you know, scratches and a bunch of different, uh, uh, things can happen. And that's why those who are into that stuff, you know, they, uh, they definitely know what they're doing uh, once they get experience because there's just a lot of stuff that can happen. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was that's that's a perfect segue into something I was going to get into at some point, so we might as well do it now. So if I'm going to go into an area that I know bear are very prevalent and that the chances are very good that I'm going to come across a bear, I'm going to carry bear spray. I'm going to carry a weapon and I am going to be on high alert hundred percent of the time. My head's going to be on a swivel. Um, if I'm going into an area where there are big cats and there have been reports of big cats and uh, it, the same thing, I'm, I'm going to be ultra sensitive to my surroundings. Now, I'm going to put this to you because you are not only an experiencer, but you are an investigator and you are boots on the ground, going out, staying in a tent, putting yourself in position to be in the areas where these things have left indications that they could be. You don't know what it is. We have a, we have a formulated idea of what they are, but we don't know what they are. We have an idea of what they're capable of based on things that have been left behind, such as deer carcasses being thrown up into trees, um, you know, buildings being ransacked or, or destroyed or damaged. Um, we have, we have people who have claimed that, you know, they're, in excess of seven feet tall, sometimes eight feet tall, sometimes nine feet tall. How, after having an experience like you did, and then subsequent experiences, that first experience had to scare the hell out of you. And if I remember our first conversation, you told me that it scared the hell out of you. How do you get past that and and make the decision to put yourself back into that, into its realm and, and choose to risk having an experience with them. How do you, how do you get back? How do you get past that? How do you, how do you come up with the strength or the courage to do that? Well, uh, personally, I, you know, even before the encounter, I was just always 
infatuated with it ever since I was a kid. My favorite animal was gorilla. And then, you know, the next would have been Sasquatch, right? Uh, it just, you know, it, it's real, you know? So, and from my account, I took it to my account or nothing happened. I did, I did not get attacked. I, uh, and from my experiences going more and more, being around these creatures is that they typically, uh, you know, they definitely watch you and watch what you're doing and watch what you have. Uh, they can read your feelings and stuff or your energy like animals can, dogs, especially, you know, like dogs, uh, don't, don't like certain people. And these things are not animals. They're human. They're, they're intelligent. They're above grade apes. They're above any other animal that we, on land, and I would, uh, you know, they, they just, they don't seem to have wildly attack people. No, don't get me wrong, this report, and they definitely do kill people, but they choose to be more patient and typically do not attack people. Uh, they, you know, they scare people all the time, you know, yeah. they do not, they throw stuff, they roar, they, they follow people out of the woods. They do things to make people leave the woods. But Intimidate, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that takes high intelligence to plan that to uh, help the patients in reserve to not attack, you know, even when people are shooting at them, even when people are gone, whatever the situation is. Uh, majority of the times, it seems like they definitely are using more restraint and intelligence to get us out uh, instead of attacking but. As besides that, there's the other aspect of it is they do eat, they do kill people and they probably eat people. They, they eat meat. Uh, you could have certain individuals or groups who have become accustomed to maybe kidnapping people every few years. You know, you have missing, uh, missing people hotspots in Michigan and everywhere else. These, these groups or individuals learn bad habits. Uh, uh, or typically they have less restraint, uh, or, uh, a teenage youngsters, teenagers, you know, sometimes they just don't learn, uh, proper manners or whatever it is that certain groups not attack people and other groups that are maybe more violent or individuals. So, uh, the whole other side of it is, yes, um, there are several known reports of Bigfoot going up to uh, people and peeing on them, peeing on their tents when they're in there, scaring the people so much that, uh, I mean, the Sasquatch literally comes up right to the person. The person is in shock and he pees all over him, you know, as a show of maybe dominance. Uh, I mean, who knows? Right. There's reports of that. There's reports of uh, killing dogs and stuff all the time. But we do, in fact, have reports of a particular story in Michigan is uh, a baby being heard crying in the middle of the night by some party girls, and they went out to go search for it, and they will never came back. Family called uh, the local sheriff and stuff. Uh, the deputy went to investigate the woods around uh, that property, and he had found their bodies torn apart and thrown up into the trees. And uh, 
you know, he went back and told his chief about it. And the chief said, you know, keep it hush, don't tell anyone, you know. And he never said, he said that he never seen any outside agencies come in, nothing happened. And he never told this story until after he was retired, many, many years later. You know, do you have a timeline? Time. Do you have a timeline on when that happened? Uh, 70s. Really? Or earlier, who knows? 70s at least. Yeah. Uh, it was very, again, uh, he told his family when after he retired and he was, you know, an old man. So, uh, this stuff does happen. You can make mistakes. Uh, these, I mean, even like people, you can be grumpy. You know, you mess with the kids, you, you do the wrong thing. Uh, who knows if they're injured, you know, old, they might not just give a crap about rules. If they have rules, you know, certain groups might have rules of engaging humans, what to do or not to do. Certain individuals might be hurt, old. That's uh, something, that's something that I think about a lot. I, I wonder if they have a, I wonder if they have a morality. Cause I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the same group with you. I believe that these are a, um, I believe that they are a people. Um, I believe there is some structure to their existence as far as, you know, their family units, their clans, uh, as we, as we call them. Um, but I wonder about their, their morality. Um, surely they must have some, uh, some sense of if they've been as, if they've been around as long as we, we theorize that they have, you know, predating us. Um, I would think that in any kind of a culture, no matter how small or, or large it is, that at some point there has to be some set of, uh, some set of guidelines that you typically try to work within. And, you know, the fact that they have young and they have to teach their young how to hunt and how to, you know, take care of themselves and how to, you know, provide for the family and, and all those other things. I would also think that there would be some segment of what they're taught as being, uh, you know, a, a morality. What, what do you think on that? Um, it's going to be another two-parter. It's just two, two, two sides of the coin. One side is how intelligent are they? Some people claim and say that, you know, they're fully as intelligent as us, just a whole, just wild people, you know, mm-hmm. total communication skills, everything, just, they're out there and they're wild and they're hairy. Or I would say that their morality probably uh, only encompasses them and their family. So they're, it's not that their morality is not to hurt us. It's what best needs to happen in the situation to save and protect the family. Okay. Do I need to kill this human to protect the family? Well, that's going to bring more humans in. So the morality is not with us, but it's, it's, it's going to be the decision making of what affects the family and mm-hmm. what all will happen to the human. So I don't think that, again, if, if they are as super intelligent and you have different groups, uh, I have very good friends and colleagues who are very adamant that these things do not give a crap about us at all. They, they care about themselves and their family and, uh, they definitely wouldn't uh, think twice about killing you. Much, much, think. much more like a wild animal. Yes, but uh, only in that, that part. Only in that part is is well, what I'm yeah. getting at. 
regard to us. Uh, you know, some people think that they they have no moral compass on sharing, that they believe everything belongs to everyone, and that's why they steal a lot of stuff. So uh, I wouldn't put it past them to uh, hurt you or do anything they want because that's what they, I mean, they're able to do. You know, the opportunities, and they will definitely take an opportunity when presented. So they are wild. Uh, from the native stores, they used to, uh, you know, attack, steal women and children and would eat them or breed with them and, you know, sometimes raise the children. But most of the time, it always ended in warfare because, you know, they wouldn't stop and they wouldn't, um, you know, stop eating people too. So they used to trade. They used to have, uh, obviously, communication where they could trade baskets and they would trade uh, different animals. Uh, the Sasquatch cannot weave baskets, so the Indians would weave the baskets for them, and the Sasquatch would steal the children and throw them in the basket. So the Indians, different, a lot of different groups of Indians, but stories uh, basically the same, where they they stop making the baskets and they start going to war. You know, everything breaks down. So what, you know, it's an intelligence, but it's also not morally compassed around what humans are like. So. Now, I know you follow the uh, oral traditions of the Native Americans quite a bit. I know that's kind of like uh, uh, a pseudo-specialty of yours from conversations in the past. So in that, in the in the Native American, you know, you hear stories where they, they were uh, coexisting together. Then you hear stories of them having uh, all-out wars against each other. You hear accounts of of them fighting alongside the Native Americans um, when when early settlers were coming over uh, on on boats over to the to the U.S. Um, or to this continent. How prevalent is that? I mean, is it is it more often that they were at odds with each other, or is it more often that you find that it sounds like they were? coexisting to a, a certain a point and then and then something happened that just uh, was a major wedge between the the two races well um, the answer is kind of complicated because there were thousands of Native American groups hundreds of different dialects languages uh, and all of these different groups languages they didn't even speak the same language interpreted Sasquatch differently you know from an elder brother tribe or spirit or a protector of the woods. Uh, so there's different stories that they all each have, and some of them are good and bad. Some of them, you know, they're straight up evil spirits, cannibal giants, and others that, yes, they did in fact trade with them, or they had better relationships that not necessarily ended for. But the, uh, yeah, so when you say Native Americans, it's a general sense of thousands and thousands of different tribes and thousands of different relationships that they had with these creatures. And so, yes, there are stories of them fighting along natives, trading. Uh, There's stories of them following the natives on the Trail of Tears, which, uh, you know, with the death march across the U.S. to the reservations that the Sasquatch followed them and did in fact eat the dead bodies along the way. Oh Lord! So, yes. Really? So, yes. That's... Uh, but you have other tribes 
sad stories of uh, an old lady uh, saving the Sasquatch, basically, because he was in a trap and he was kind of sick. And uh, he had thanked her in her language, spoke native, you know, very, uh, you know, an elder brother, total human, just a hairy man. He spoke and said that you come to this dump uh, during the full moon and I will provide you food. And uh, the day I don't, uh, there's nothing there. I, you know, I have passed along. And for years, she had gathered the food that he had left until one day uh, there was nothing there and she had knew that he had passed. Wow. So you have a variety, variety of just all sorts of different flesh and blood to spiritual uh, entities that they associate with uh, Sasquatch. So I hope that answers a little bit. Yeah, and you know, on still on the subject of the Native Americans, um, prior to you and I meeting the first time in uh, Dwajak, I had gone online and watched several of your uh, Lost Cryptids uh, videos on YouTube. And, um, I, I have no idea which one it was, but I do remember you walking into a, uh, it looked, it looked like it was right off the edge of a, a dirt road where it, uh, dropped down into a bit of a gully and, uh, all the, over the, all the growth had grown over there and you got in, uh, into a wet area and we're kind of going through a tunnel of, uh, overgrowth and, it wasn't really loud on the on the audio recordings, and I kind of went back a couple of times. I'm like, is he speaking Native American as he's going through there? I I think you were. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but were you you making statements in in some Native American? Uh, yes, I was. Uh, you could, yeah, you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am speaking. Uh, Padawanami from uh, Michigan, uh, Michigan known language, which mm-hmm. is part of, uh, you know, Padawanami, Ojibwe, and Chippewa. Uh, they were the three main groups in Michigan. So uh, I speak that one. Uh, it's also what I uh, have a little blood, a native blood in me, which is uh, Padawanami. So, oh, do you? Uh, yeah. So uh, if you've seen my dad, he looks, he's, he, you know, I guess with black hair and it looks a little dark and stuff, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess it shows, uh, you know, this is from like the 1800s. Or stuff, uh, mm-hmm. so, it's, so do you find that you have success with with speaking the native native language? Yeah, and I've always been into the native uh, stuff when I, ever since I was a kid. Again, uh, having it in my family and stuff, I've been reading, reading and researching and finally imp- implementing it with Sasquatch research. Uh, the results have been uh, surprisingly yeah, it's good. It, it definitely does. Not all the time, you know. Most of the time, nothing even happens when we go into the woods. But uh, certain times, it definitely has had results. Well, and I thought it, I thought it was very interesting because um, I think if you go back to my episode five, dinner with a witch, when I interviewed Susan, um, at one point, you know it, that that was the most. That was the most bizarre two and a half to three hours of my life, I think, that I've ever experienced in, in one one day. Just the the complete weirdness from the, the time I was pulling out of my driveway till the time that I was driving away from her house was just ungodly weird. 
so many strange experiences, but I do remember at some point she was relaying to me some of her uh, Sasquatch experiences uh, along that river. She said that she would go out into her area and would uh, would sing in Algonquin, I believe, and that, uh, and that they yeah. some in some way, shape, or form showed appreciation for uh, her doing that. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, Algonquin is a uh, broad uh, journal dialect from uh, Michigan and uh, Canada. So the uh, Patawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chippewa uh, fall into that group, and some smaller tribes too. It's basically the Algonquin uh, language, uh, linguistic language, and uh, several different dialects that offshoot that. So, yeah, she was speaking, um, yeah, Algonquin basically, but it might have been like, you know, Ojibwe or Chippewa and stuff, but. Mm-hmm. Basically, it'd be like the same language with maybe a little accent. And um, basically, you know, having an accent or a little bit slightly different dialect, but uh, the Sasquatch seemed to understand all of it uh, from what she has told me and and what I've uh, done on my own. And also uh, what the She-Squatchers, Jenna Cruz, or uh, Jen Cruz, sorry, mm-hmm. the leader, she, uh, she had an incident basically where... Uh, a lot of stuff was happening and freaking everyone out in the group. And she had said a, a little bit of, of a prayer in the Ojibwe language and everything stopped when she said Bigfoot at the very end, you know, she had please and thank you. And, you know, great, uh, great Bigfoot, great big Bigfoot, I believe she said, uh, which is uh, Sabe. Yeah. But that, that means honesty in uh, that language. But that is the name for Bigfoot. Right. And the uh, seven teachings of the Ojibwe and Algonquin people are, number five is uh, honesty, and it's represented by Bigfoot. You know, and that's, so. one, that's one of the things. You can lay out a table full of uh, track castings and, you know, blurry photos and audio recordings, vocalizations and uh, personal experiences and all that stuff. And, you know, they're, they're all, they all have merits to some extent, you know, and I hate saying this because everybody says this, but nobody's going to believe anything until we have a body on a slab. And probably not even after that, it's probably going to require two bodies on a slab um, before science recognizes it. And, you know, like your last comment, that's one of the things that really strikes me as being, for me personally, that is one of those indictments or indicators that this is this is a real thing sometimes when they start talking about you know their understanding of um, native american languages and even understanding english to some extent and react or at least reacting to it in a way that would make you think they understand it you know do they get that just from observing us you know watching us i mean i mean obviously so many so many of the sightings so many of the encounters they just see this thing off in the distance and it, you know, it seems to be waving back and forth between, you know, the, the trunk of a tree kind of swaying back and forth. And they, they just seem like they're always in a, in a mode of observance. You know, is that something that they, they, they watch us and they learn what, what we do and they see how people react when certain things are said and they get an understanding of that. There's so many, so many aspects to this, this topic that I just don't, I don't understand how people cannot wrap their head around it you know maybe maybe i'm nuts maybe maybe i've just you know spent 
you know, I'm going to be 56 this next month. And, you know, I mean, the majority of my life I've been uh, absolutely obsessed with UFOs and obsessed with uh, Sasquatch and, and maybe not quite so obsessed, but uh, still super, super interested in uh, the paranormal and uh, supernatural events, and, you know, related to ghosts and hauntings and stuff like that. I just don't understand people that don't harbor any interest in this. It floors me. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it's, some people just refuse to believe or even see any evidence of any paranormal stuff, Bigfoot included. But, you know, and I've had those experiences with ghosts and uh, UFOs and uh, some other uh, creatures out there in the woods of Michigan that uh, are not Bigfoot. So there's definitely a lot of things happening around the woods or that, you know, people... I don't know if people, you know, people aren't chosen. If it's certain people that just are gravitate, it's everything's gravitating towards it, and they gravitate towards it too. I mean, who knows? But uh, certain individuals seem to definitely experience certain things more than others, and I'm not sure if it's just they're more open in the mind or or whatever it is. But, yeah, uh, and I wonder about I, that too, because many times you'll find that. And, and it's a shame because I'm one of those people I've had, I've had, an, and I'm a very frustrated experiencer because I feel that I have a couple of events that were related to Bigfoot, but I didn't see it. I had a, I had an event that was definitely related to something in the sky, but I didn't see it. And about the only thing that I can say that I did have an experience with and can, can quantify it is um, after my dad passed away, there were a number of things that happened in my, in my parents' home that solidified for me that there was, there was an ability for a spirit to, to interact with, with you once it's passed. And it was, it was only for a short period of time. I'm talking maybe three to four months of, of activity and then that it dissipated and it's never returned. So I don't know if that's a, um, if that's a typical thing, uh, as far as a, a, a non repetitive haunting, you know, something that's not necessarily, uh, a residual haunting. Yeah. A residual haunting. Um, this was, this was more of a, and I hate to say intelligent haunting, but it was definitely something that was related to, me and my relationship with my father. Um, you know, and, you know, when, at the end of the day, so when, you know, people are talking to me about different experiences, it's like, yes, I have what I think was a UFO event. Yes, I think I have had what was uh, several Sasquatch-related events. Yes, I've had ghost events. Um, you know, I mean, when you say it out loud and you hear yourself saying it, it's like, oh man, I'm that guy. <laughs> you know, I'm that, I'm that guy that's, you know, he's had it all happen to him. And, and, and people that have a hard time believing in any one of these things are going to look at you like you're absolute loon. But there's a lot of people out there that seem to have multiple experiences with, and not just those three things, but other things that are out there. Um, and and I wonder if that's is that a is that a genetic thing? Is it something that uh, is it 
does it simply mean that you're more open to it? Is it, uh, are you overstimulated imagination? You know, it's, but it's true. There's a lot of people out there that, that have multiple experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you think about it, when you're one of these people that have multiple, it does sound crazy. I mean, but the reality is, is that, you know, it's all these, those moments that, you know, are very fast, you know, a blimp, a blimp in your life. And, a lot of people probably do have experiences and they just ignore it and forget about it and put it away and never just, you know, never bring it up. I mean, how many people say that, you know, they hear something and all of a sudden they, things go back and it's like, Oh yeah, you know, that one, that one weird time something happened and sometimes they just don't have a reference of what's actually going on and they chalk it up with something else. Yeah. So they hear something that jogs the memory. Uh, I think it, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there we just we just have no clue about, and hopefully one day the puzzle pieces will add up and we can get an answer. Yeah, it sure would be nice. You know, and you know, I just watched uh, this was it this past Sunday after I got back home from West Branch uh, on 60 Minutes, the the segment they did on UAPs, UFOs. You know, it's it's. <laughs> For somebody who's been into that subject matter since he was five, so you know, almost fifty-one years of my life, now hearing people talk about it in a matter-of-fact way that they're finally coming out and admitting that these things are out there. They don't know where they're from. They don't know what powers them. They don't know um, how they're made or or where they're made or who's piloting them if they're piloted. It's it's a it's kind of a strange. You know, I, I guess I feel a little bit vindicated in the fact that I haven't wasted 51 years of my life believing in something that wasn't real. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing that they're finally coming out and admitting that, that this stuff is, is happening. And I want to I wanna kind of start in interjecting that, you know, the, okay, why would the government decide to, to tell us now after, what, 70 years of, of being in the... Um, in the news, why now? You know, what's what's the what are they getting out of it? But on the other hand, I, you know, why why cover up Bigfoot? Yeah, you know, well, I, why cover up Bigfoot? Well, you know, the, the t- typical answer is well, the logging industry, money, and, you know, it could uh, scare everyone out of the campgrounds. Um, yeah. I you get, know, I get that, but if they tell you that UFOs are real, do you want to go up in a freaking plane? <laughs> you know, I mean, if those if they're if pilots in the US military, some of the most well-trained aviators that that this country has manufactured, if they're having experiences that are such close calls that they finally had to come out and admit this, do you want to get on an airliner and fly down to Florida or fly over to Cuba or fly over to, you know, the Bahamas and risk being in an airspace that has these things that are floating around in them? You know, I get what yeah. you, I get what you're saying as far as the forestry and the camping industry and all that stuff, but the same thing applies to the UFO subject, does it not? Uh yeah, yeah. Uh, and what what I was getting to is uh I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, 
that's those are the typical answers that you know researchers say and you know the government uh does what the government needs to do and wants to do and has to do and you know uh they tell us probably 10 percent of the time of what's really going on we or we know and the other 90 percent we don't know so that's that's the answer of why uh they do what they do so uh, until they tell that we find out uh it's gonna remain the same yeah unfortunately you're right Blake, talk to me about uh, what it takes to set up an investigative group. You know, now the word conservancy at the, or conservatory at the end of your uh, your group's name, uh, conservatory typically means uh, um, an, an academic, you know, a, a way of teaching. Um, and, and I've seen from discussions with you that that is part of what you guys do is you try to educate people. But as far as putting together a team of researchers, a group of individuals that are all like-minded and, and after the same thing, discovery and proof of, of this elusive of this elusive being, um, how, do you, how do you go about first advertising that you're trying to put together a group like this? Where does it start? What's your vetting process? Uh, what are the requirements for uh, people to be uh, admitted as to part of your group? Well, uh, I, I, I kind of got lucky and I, all my team members kind of fell in, into place and we, uh, we did actually have a, a vetting process and we do it for future, uh, team members, you know, uh, dedication is a huge thing, uh, and professionalism you know, above everything else. Uh, if you can't be professional and, and, and work with us and do, do you know, have the same goals, you know, you, you can't cut it. Professionalism is everything. And the vetting process is, uh, you know, anyone can join. Uh, but we definitely will take you out and see what you got. And uh, the more physically able people, we definitely push them uh, into the swamps to uh, see what kind of gets under their nerves, you know. Uh, some people don't like water and we definitely uh, tromp through the swamps all the time. So we definitely push people out and see how they react uh, in the woods, you know, see what kind of sense they have, common sense of how you should, uh, you know, be in the woods. Uh, or, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, each each person is different. So we kind of, we, we look at it and tailor made, make it for uh, each person's applying. So uh, not everyone definitely makes the team we we definitely uh, have shut down a, a lot of people, but uh, all the people on the, my group, uh, they were all uh, friends uh, with me before, and I kind of got lucky there. But what kind of number, know, what kind of numbers do you have? What how how large 12. is your group? We have twelve at the moment. Twelve, and we yeah, you know, we all click, we all work together. You know, no one hates each other, no one fights. You know, we all you know, feel like a big family at our big, you know, camp outs and gatherings and expeditions. So really just a tight knit group of people who can really get along and have the same goals and, you know, same, you know, aspirations to find evidence to, you know, to help the group. You know, we're, we're really trying to make the lost cryptids into, you know, and into a, a, a known name. 
know, we're finding a lot of evidence and we want Michigan to be on the map. Michigan's kind of a, you know, it's kind of like an underdog state. It has a lot of reports, but a lot of people just don't think Michigan and Bigfoot. But it definitely beats a lot of states that are more known for Bigfoot activity. Yeah. So, you so, know, so hypothetically, XY, family XYZ from, say, uh, Cadillac, Michigan calls you. And and says they're having uh, they're having experiences on their property. They've got thirty acres of property, and uh, they're having experiences that uh, they believe are related to Sasquatch. So they call you up. I'm, I'm sure there's a, a list of questions that you go over on the phone before you even decide to get information to go visit that area. They give you permission. They say, "Come on out." set up your stuff, do what you guys do. Do you take your entire team? I guess it's a two-part question. You know, do you take your whole team out or is there just a certain segment, only the people that are available? Um, and then once you, once you collect your data and your experiences and, and any kind of uh, uh, evidence from that property, is there, is there like a, a full-on all 12 members get together you're tackling this part, you're tackling this part. We got this guy who's working on the data points and we got this guy that's working on the, um, reviewing the, the experiences and, and the interviews, you know, to kind of, kind of go into what, what all entails in, into that. Yeah. Um, it depends on the situation, of course, but typically, uh, from what we have actually done, we have, I've got some research for it. Um, we typically send a, uh, three-person or four-person team out there to uh, talk to the witnesses if they uh, want us to come out and investigate the air. But uh, like this last uh, witness has reported a very shocking uh, encounter. He had seen it across the uh, train tracks, open open area, but uh, his, uh, his it was knocking on the windows and stuff of the house and terrorizing you know, his kids and they and, you know, really freaked him out, really, you know, thinking about selling the place. And, you know, he wanted us to come out there and not, you know, whoop and do a bunch of stuff, and you know, which we don't do at all, uh, especially investigating reports of witnesses. So are, he didn't want anything to get stirred up, basically. Oh, no, 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 no. And as an investigator to these witnesses, you should, they, they're victims, okay? Right. Uh, especially people who, you know, it shakes the whole world. You know, it's not like a Bigfoot researcher uh, calling us and reporting, hey, you know, I just seen this. It's, it's a little bit different circumstance. So we typically, it's more of a victim vibe, you know, that these, they're traumatized, they're scared. And so we definitely work with them and uh, are available 24-7 to them. Uh, but we typically send a smaller team out there. We talk to them. We write everything down. We do investigate the area. If they have any particular rules or off-limit stuff they absolutely don't want us to do, we definitely uh, obey by that because, I mean, that's the most important thing about a witness, you know, uh, testimony and helping them is, you know, if they're telling you don't go out there and make whoops and then, you know, someone on your team goes out there and makes whoops, I mean, you know, you put them at risk because that's what they feel. Uh, they don't know how to handle the situation, you know, right. and you don't want to escalate a situation either. So, so do no harm, basically. 
yeah, a professional is enough. There's a witness and he says, Hey, bring as many people as you have. And he has huge property, you know, it's different, different circumstances, yeah. you know, have different outcomes. So, but typically it's a small, we, we send smaller people and we do have uh, a leadership uh, people, but whoever's available, whoever's closest, you know, we have people all over the state. So that plays a factor also. Uh, but we definitely don't send anyone alone uh, because of the people who they might run into, but also just being in, in the woods. You don't want to be by yourself typically. Yeah. You're fortunate enough to have to cu- have a couple of uh, gentlemen on your team that are ex-law enforcement, aren't you? Is that a leg up you have on other, not that you're having a competition with other investigative groups, but um, I would think that uh, trained observers, uh, anybody in the military, anybody that was uh, law enforcement or uh, anything uh, in in that type of uh, career path would be a huge plus as far as uh, vetting information when, when taking down uh, accounts and interviews and forensic evidence uh, on site, I would think that'd be a huge plus for you. It certainly is. Uh, it comes uh, experience, you know, and typically most Bigfoot researchers don't have that experience. So, yeah, it does play a huge factor, you know. So it's, it's little techniques that definitely should be implemented more throughout the Bigfoot community because, uh, and it is more uh, scrutinized, uh, professionalism of gathering evidence of talking with the witness of writing notes data collecting i mean uh even computer forensic stuff you know making sure that if you have a really good piece of footage that's evidence that you want to make sure that forensically you can look at it and and prove that it wasn't messed with post photoshop all that good stuff mm-hmm. uh, or even you can even you know see if it's ever been viewed after the video is uh, certain techniques that I didn't know uh, with uh, casting tracks and stuff, uh, applying uh, different solutions to keep the track uh, uh, without uh, crumbling on itself and uh, different ways to extract tracks. So it's just a bunch of great experience that uh, only helps uh, our group. And uh, yeah, we more than welcome that because, you know, we're trying to, again, we're trying to, the Bigfoot community and uh, needs to get to the next level of, you know, citizen scientists, but actual, you know, the due diligence of the work, you know, not, you know, oh, I, you know, this happened, this happened, but, you know, I didn't take no video, I didn't write nothing down, I didn't look the tracks, you know. Researcher needs to go to the next level of actual scrutiny and not just well, I think this looks like a Bigfoot track, but, you know, I'm not sure. So I'm going to call it Bigfoot track, you know. It has to be more scientific of, well, right. you know, it's identifiable. So how many years have you been doing this uh, as as far as the, the group setting? Oh, uh, I would say two years. Uh, since I started Lost Scripted, I was by myself. I've been by myself since... Uh, I say uh, 17 years, which would have been when my uh, Bigfoot encounter happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, studying Bigfoot, I've been doing it since I was a kid, reading books. So as far as, as, far as going out on actual investigations and, and having people call and, and ask you out to their property or 
taking you back out to the to the scene of a an encounter. You've been doing that for how long? Uh, well, with the group about two years. So I've done it a little bit uh, from friends, relatives, and stuff. I, I did go to investigate some stuff uh, in my younger days, but. Uh, with the group setting, yeah, we are more professional, and we actually do uh, get calls. And so, and so in that time, it. in that time, um, do you have a rough idea of how many uh, investigations you've done? Oh, a handful. Uh, we're actually just now uh, starting to get more reports, so uh, it takes time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, people just like telling us. Uh, what happened was they don't want us to go out there. Uh, right. They, some people feel like they, you know, best to leave them alone, but uh, they, they report it to us. But uh, the investigation thing is uh, definitely a more of a newer aspect. Uh, so I would say probably the last year, but we have been taking reports the uh, last two years, and I have reports from when I was by myself. What? It's uh... kind of weird. Uh, uh, being by myself most of the time uh, doing the group thing is uh, a little different for me, so still kind of getting used to it, I guess. Have you run into a lot of hoaxes? So, um, somebody trying to pull one over on you? Uh, no, not locally, but uh, hoaxes online and on uh, Facebook videos and stuff, yeah. Right. I see a lot of uh, pretty blatant ones uh, in our group, posted in our group, and we would have had to uh, deal with it. Yeah. Well, that's good that you haven't been bothered personally as a as a group with uh, deploy man hours into something that you find out is uh, is a hoax. Yeah, well, we have a lot of good. Uh, I want to say we're experts, but you know, we have a lot of knowledgeable people who you know can read people and uh, hoax. It's, it takes a lot to hoax. The you know, mm-hmm. thing is, it's hard to pull off uh, if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. The average person can't hoax Bigfoot stuff that well. Even if we collect hair, uh, if you get tested, obviously we find out it's a hoax pretty easily. Footprints, uh, typically, uh, I did see a National Geographic one way that uh, was pretty legitly how you could hoax people, but uh, most people do like, you know, cutouts of wood pallets and uh, stuff like that, so in terms of hoaxing, it's really about reading the person. If you don't have a good feeling, trusting that instinct, your gut. Yeah. If you don't have a good feeling about that person, then you know you're probably spot on. Yeah. And typically, that's that's what I use as far as my vetting process for the the people that I have on my show. Any interviews I do, I usually have a at least one phone conversation before I bring somebody on. And if you're if you've made it to the show you've passed my, my vetting process because uh, my gut has served me extremely well for a lot of years and uh, I'm, I'm going to keep going with it because I, I have a tendency to be able to smell and call bullshit and uh, that's, that's not what this show's about. I don't, want, uh, I don't want somebody who can just tell a good story and you know have made it up the night before and um, that's, that's not what we're about here. All right. And if you're, you know, an experienced researcher and you kind of know your stuff, even if you're not a researcher, you generally pick, kind of pick apart that person and and that gut. That gut is a huge thing. It's definitely uh, something that people should not overlook, yeah. especially in the woods. You know, that 
your instincts definitely should pay attention to. You know, and that's interesting that you say that because I, you know, I've, I've said this in, in multiple conversations before I may have even said this to you in a conversation. I feel that we as a civilized human, uh, somebody who walks into their house, locks their door behind them, has four walls around them at all time. They don't have to worry about whether it's going to rain or whether it's going to lightning because we have a roof over our head. Animals typically can't get into our house because we've got our doors shut and our windows shut and we turn the air conditioner on and, you know, we have a heater and, and all these things. And, and I think for as long as we've been in, in a, in a, capacity of being able to put four walls and a roof over our head we have dumbed down our extra senses um, not not to say that we were gifted with extrasensory perceptions but i think at, at one point we probably had more than just the five senses that we do now um, we used to have to live out under the stars we used to have to sleep next to fires you know we barely have a, a loincloth wrapped around us uh, for clothing and those people managed to survive. We're living proof of that because if had they not survived, we wouldn't be here, right? I go back to, I go back to my, uh, my days when I was a bouncer in a bar. And at the point that you're sleeping next to a fire out in the, in the you know, you're, you're basically, you have to survive. So everything about what you do, you're, you're hunting for food, you're looking for water, you're protecting your, um, your, your clan or your family, everything is uh there's a stressor to every every aspect of what you do it wasn't like you would come home and turn on the tv you'd come home and clean fish or you'd come home and you'd clean you know gut an animal or something and the time that i spent being a bouncer that was a stressor it was constantly a stressor you're always looking for somebody that was going to screw up you're always going to look Always looking for that guy that was going to have one too many drinks and then become a problem. You were always looking for, you know, the group of guys that were going to end up starting shit and and turning the whole place into a, a, a cluster. And I think, I think that has helped my, when we talk about our gut feelings about people. When I was like in the later stages of, of being a bouncer, I could pretty much tell when you walked up to the door and paid your cover charge whether you were going to be a happy drunk, whether you were going to be an idiot, where you were going to be getting in a fight with your girlfriend or your wife, whether you were going to cause a problem, if we we're going to have to call a cab for you. And I was pretty spot on. Not many times was I fooled. And, you know, and I think, I think that stress of being in that environment helped me gain that insight into people's personalities. Just like I think back then when we were sleeping at a fire or we were having to carry a spear because we didn't know what was around the next uh, rock pile or, or tree trunk, you're always on edge. You're always, you're always stressed. And I think that, I think that creates a, a, an extra sense that you have that not everybody has nowadays. Oh, yeah, most certainly. It's definitely... Uh puts all your senses in overdrive, you know, it's constantly working and training and working and working and working. So even if there was no sixth sense or extra paranormal sense, uh, your already senses would be used more more than modern man. And uh, it brings another aspect of why Sasquatch uh, can thrive in modern times because modern man isn't doing those activities. They're not chopping firewood in the middle of the night to keep the house warm. Mm -hmm. They're not, either not guarding 
you know, their property from anything, from other people or both animals. They're not, they're not in the woods at all. Uh, in the, I mean, people go to bed at 10 o'clock with the TV on. Uh, they're not even in their backyards, backwoods, cornfields, country property. I mean, these creatures can literally slip in between a lot of houses and traverse the landscape pretty easily once the light switch is turned off. Yeah. And modern people don't even look outside, uh, you know, how many people don't even hunt uh, for their food. So our senses are dulled, I would say, by modern uh the way modern people are nowadays. Yeah, considerably, I would agree. And these creatures are out there all the time, and they're observing us, and they're they're out there 24-7, 365. So their senses and reflexes and intelligence of, of that environment are way beyond anything we could uh, do and understand. And, and that's maybe why people uh, give them that superhuman paranormal aspect is uh, Maybe they're just fully natural. Exactly, exactly. And that's the point I was hoping you would come to after saying that is that, you know, some, some of this woo that people feel that there's a supernatural aspect to them. This isn't including all of it, but uh, a, a large degree of it, I think is, you know, these things are honing their skills every second of the day. And we don't. We're not. We are passively relying on what we were taught and what we've learned throughout our lives. And, you know, when, once we walk back into those four walls, yeah, I just, I just think that we've, we've uh, unfortunately dumbed down our senses to the point where when something has those senses about it, it seems supernatural. I, I agree. Uh, even Sasquatch, you know, is, you know, disappearing or uh, cloaking or jumping through portals, you know, the simplest uh, answer is usually the right answer. It's most likely he just gets out of sight and uh, crawls away. You know, even people say that, uh, well, even normal animals can uh, camouflage with the environment. You know, yeah. it's already a darker colored creature. Well, you talk uh, to so- any you talk to any deer hunter, and they'll have had multiple stories of they're looking in an area and then all of a sudden there's a deer there and they didn't see it come in. Exactly. But it's, but it just walked in there. So yeah, I agree a hundred percent that, uh, these things are just, they're masters of the environment that they live in. And again, if you're a modern person who's not, uh, been experiencing the woods, you might consider that paranormal, you know, but, uh, even natural animals can do that same thing. And we're not saying a deer, you know, jumped through the portal and it's now standing in the middle of right there. I mean, obviously, uh, it's more of a natural uh, aspect, which that's what uh, I believe uh, Bigfoot is, is, you know, more of a flesh and blood people who are, have extra sensor, sensories and uh, great observation skills and probably the best patience of any creature on earth, you know, the patience of just sitting by a tree, having bugs crawl on you all day, watching people, Yeah. you know, I mean, the patience and willpower it takes to do that is beyond what most people can do. Um, and that's why they're the master of the woods, you know, 
majority of the time they know you're in the woods because they're already sitting there and they're watching everything and they spot you coming in. Then they can move around and do what they want. It's not that they magically know that you're there. They observe you coming into the area from choke points and certain spots where they can see the parking lot, the trail that people have to come in and go out of. That's how they're seeing and know you're in the woods. Well, before before we end this up, I need to uh, I need to make good on a promise. Uh, I have a, a dear friend of mine who uh, her and her family they spend uh, a couple of times each summer up around the Sugarloaf Mountain area in Marquette, Michigan, up in the UP. And uh, this past summer, they had an experience. Uh, I, I sent you pictures of uh, of a track on the beach. Uh, it was a, it was a rather long foot. Um, I think we, we figured out that it was about 16 and a half inches, um, toe to heel, um, but relatively narrow, um, for a Sasquatch long, but narrow. Um, and then the other set of photographs that she, uh, had showed me, but she has not turned over to me. Um, had wolf prints or or a large dog print running alongside of it along the beach. And uh, the track itself was uh, in a straight line. It was not, uh, it was not like a, a human that was walking on either side of a two-by-four, you know, where it's left and right and it's off-centered. Um, these, were, these were one right in front of the other. And uh, she said it was probably close to a five-and-a-half to six-foot uh, distance between the, the tip of the one toe to the back of the other heel. Um, thought it was odd, odd enough to take pictures. Uh, her husband was actually the one that said, make sure you take pictures of it. And uh, the next day on Sugarloaf Mountain, um, they, were, they were hiking down a, a really well-worn trail. Uh, there were several other groups of uh, families that were within 15, 20 yards of them to the to the front and the back. Um, they all experienced a very low uh, but loud um, guttural growl, um, kind of set everybody um, on ear, and uh, every everybody was kind of. Head, head on a swivel looking around for, you know, either a bear or a cat. And uh, basically wound up the uh, the intensity of, of their fear um, from what they had heard made them want to exit the area as quickly as possible. The mother um, guided both of her children behind her, directly behind her, and her husband uh, basically walked the rest of the way out of the out of the trail backwards with his back to the children, but keeping an eye on what was behind them and even had pulled out his pocket knife, which uh, according to her was not a very big knife, but was all they had. Um, she's asked me to put her in contact with or talk to um, people in this field and find out if, if, if there's something that she needs to be worried about as far as taking her family back into that area again. She's uh, she's extremely nerved out. 
Do you know anything about the uh, any Sasquatch sightings up in that area? And uh, if not even just Sasquatch, but also uh, possibly Dogman. Uh, yeah, there's uh, after reviewing the uh, area, there's a few uh, sightings uh, I have reported uh, recording on the map. Um, you know, it's kind of a two-sided coin. You know, a lot of most of the time. 99% of the time, you're probably fine in the woods with your family. Uh, it's just the other times, uh, you're not. Uh, you should, I would recommend, you know, you should be armed in the woods uh, a little bit more than a pocket knife, especially if you're uh, in the upper peninsula. Mm-hmm. Regardless of Bigfoot, there's the black bear, there's actually wolves, there's cougars. You should be prepared for being in the woods, especially if you're that far up north. Is bear spray a good thing to have on you? Does that work on cats and, and wolves as well? Uh, yes, but, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing better than having a firearm uh, in the woods in North America because bear spray sometimes does not work. Yeah. Uh, especially if the animal, or typically bear, uh, if the animal is fully uh, adrenaline, adrenaline, has a lot of adrenaline in its system and it's pushing itself, it will take the bear spray and keep going. It will take, you know, bullets. Yeah. You know, bears can take bullets and keep going if they're in a super agitated state. So, uh, you know, I, I recommend whatever you're comfortable with and uh, learn and research and practice whatever you got. But I believe you should be armed. I would recommend for her that, you know, you shouldn't ever leave your kids out of, you know, your sight. Right should uh, practice uh, bear safety and apply it to, uh, like, Sasquatch safety, too. Um, I do know there's a missing people cluster. Uh, I believe it's south of Marquette. UP does have some clusters of missing people. Uh, I would recommend uh, researching that in some of the books. Uh, just to keep that in the back of your mind, that there are certain situations that, you know, Things happen in these woods, and they're unexplainable, Sasquatch-related, uh, you know, dogman. I have personally seen a, uh, a wolf uh, run, off, run on two legs. Now, if it never ran on two legs, I would have never thought any different other than it's just a wolf in lower Michigan. Uh, so uh, awareness is the biggest thing, and being prepared, you know. Again, regardless of these creatures out there, the woods of North America are a dangerous place with natural predators and uh, just the woods themselves being caught, you know, being hurt, being caught off in their weather and stuff. A whole situation could, could arise from that. So yeah. best advice I would give to her is that she should practice uh, normal wilderness uh, uh, safety uh, training and uh, protocols and for Sasquatch-related stuff, um, it sounds to me that it probably seen them taking pictures. You know, if you notice the Sasquatch is there and the Sasquatch stuff, and the Sasquatch sees you noticing the stuff, it's more likely to interact with you than a person who doesn't pay attention to anything Sasquatch-related. Right. So I would say maybe that could be the cause of it. So, uh, 
you know, if you hear stuff in the woods that's Sasquatch related, maybe not pay attention to it. But uh, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to give people advice um, of what to do when you're in those woods because Sasquatch can do whatever they want whenever they want. But I think it's safe to say, basically, if you're not a, if you're not an investigator and have trained yourself to some extent to look for these beings, um, probably not the smartest thing for you to do while you're on a hike with your kids. Um, so if if you if you have a sense of uh, urgency to get out of an area, follow your gut, get out of the area. Yeah, it's the biggest thing is your gut and. Um, I would recommend, you know, looking at some of these uh, missing 401 books um, here and in in there's places in Michigan where, you know, there are just, you know, 50 yards, you know, and they turn the corner on the trail and all of a sudden they're gone. Now, uh, it doesn't seem like it's all Sasquatch related, but some of it is very, uh, I mean, they have reports of a bear running with the kid. Obviously, it's not a bear. It's very so, unusual experiences, yeah. Yeah, so I would just, you know, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I, I it's kind of a, I don't know how to answer that most of the time. Well, if you're at your house settings, uh, I, I would recommend putting up cameras and motion detected lights and uh, shooting your guns off at a uh, target if you're able to do that. That will typically keep Sasquatches out of, out away from you in your house dwelling at least uh, it's harder when you're in their environment and their woods and their home you know best bet is to be respectful and to uh, abide by the warning signs if you know what they are and are aware if you're not and you're totally blind most of the time they leave you alone uh, if you encounter a a Sasquatch that is being threatening and and looks like it's going to attack and bite and be violent. Uh, you, you, you know, I would say you need to defend yourself um, and hope for the best because there's certain individuals and groups that straight up probably would, you know, kill and eat us, but because they want to. Yeah. So most, most, I feel most groups are intelligent enough to know that if they hurt person or steal a kid it just brings hundreds of more people into the area searching for them and it it puts their family members in danger right so, yeah that's the risk why of exposure yeah have less attacks and less uh, things but it, it it does happen so blake DeSure, lost cryptids conservatory Blake, let everybody know how they can get a hold of you if they need your services. Uh, yes, uh, you can go to the uh, Facebook groups. Uh, you can find me on there, uh, the Lost Cryptids uh, YouTube channel. Um, on all the live shows, I put out my num- phone number. Uh, actually, it's the Lost Cryptids phone number, personal phone for the Lost Cryptids that you can call anytime, and we take reports that way. Uh, talk to me. So that would be the uh, best way. Um, and also, we have uh, another group called uh, Michigan Bigfoot Reports, uh, Gumshoe Corner. Uh, it's a great group. Join that. Uh, 
definitely take reports and investigate it promptly. So that's uh, kind of our sister group uh, to one of our members' groups, and it is the premier uh, Michigan Bigfoot Facebook group. Now that's Val Salvala's uh, group, correct? Yes, it is. The yeah. data miner. Yeah, uh, I uh, I had a well, I think I told you uh, this weekend I was having uh, quite a quite an extended conversation with him uh, via text and uh, super interesting guy, very very personable and then uh, um, I'd love to get a chance to talk to that guy on on his take on uh, collecting all this data because that's that's kind of that's kind of where I am. You know, at 56, I've got some lower back issues that keep me from being as active as I used to. So, unfortunately, I'm I'm kind of stuck with uh, doing the doing the data points and the the collecting the information in different files in my head and you know, just drawing uh drawing point A to point B and uh um, that, that that's really interesting how it seems like he's he's very much in that group only takes it to the nth degree. Um so that's got to be a huge plus for you as well to have a to have a collaboration with a group like that. Well, yeah, he's a member of the Lost Cryptids, but uh, that's his own personal uh, stuff that he likes to do. You know, we have a lot of people in our group that have uh, different shows, and uh, even some that are in different groups, actually, in Michigan. Uh, we're not, you know, we're not a typical research group. We're not really stingy about doing you're, certain you're, you're not elitist. You're not, yeah, you're not, not elitist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not... You know, we're really trying to build up the community and uh, different people and researchers in the states that it belong to this community. And you're not going to build it up by alienating everyone and bashing and never letting other people grow. Right. You know, so that's what uh, that's what we do. So. Well, and it's a uh, take it from me, folks. If if you have any uh, if you have any need for their services, get a hold of them. If you're in the in the Michigan area, they're a great group of people. Uh, been around them several times. They're uh, all extremely friendly, professional. Um, can't say enough about you guys. Appreciate you being on here with me tonight. Uh, glad we got to cover your uh, your conference that's coming up on the 17th of July in Ann Arbor. Again, the Michigan Bigfoot Conference. You can go to the the website. What was the website again? The Michigan Bigfoot oh, oh, okay, that was simple. <laughs> and a uh, lot of lot of really good uh, speakers going to be there. Uh, I'm going to be there. Come on out and say hi. Again, thank you for being with us, and it's always a pleasure. Yep, thank you, and uh, glad to be on. All right, sir. We'll talk again. Until next time. This has been uncomfortable the show is written produced and hosted by me Eric Salagi the show's social media presence is developed by Tammy Jordan submit your experiences to contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com to be featured on an upcoming episode Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter, all at Uncomfortable Podcast. And if you would, go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, and leave us a five-star rating and a review.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 